Welcome to the Cowboy Office Show, where you'll experience expert analysis and epic discussion on key pillars of the equine industry, including sports, business, hobby, and the horse lifestyle. Your co-hosts are Jody Brainerd and Brian Dykert, industry veterans with over 120 years combined living the cowboy lifestyle. The Cowboy Office Show will help you get involved, ask more questions, and create change. We'll keep riding for you as together we learn from the ride already ridden, learn to listen better to our horse, and make our industry better for all. Each weekly episode, we'll take a ride around the industry in less time than you can load the truck and trailer. Drop your email at cowboyoffice.com to receive weekly updates and never miss an episode. Settle up as we ride into today's show. Hello, horse world. It's that time again, Faturity time. And this is your Raining Faturity Review Show. Welcome to the Cowboy Office. I'm Brian. And I'm Jody. Brian Bell and Crystallized Whiskey. A mayor that won the 2023 Congress Futurity and wins the NRHA Futurity after a tie, a long-awaited runoff. We want to say congratulations to Brian Bell, Crystallized Whiskey, and owner Wallace Wood. Boyoffice.com, put your email in. Please hit the subscribe button on whatever platform of your choice you're uh, watching our show. We have data and more data, but let's talk tie for the win first, Jody. A tie for champions, not a new concept at all, but it appeared like they weren't very prepared for the potential. I, my, my question, you know, are, are we really having a sporting event or are we having family reunion? So, um, <laughs> it, it was, it was a fascinating kind of scenario and we were watching online and I know a lot of other people were too, but you know, they announced that it's going to be a co-champion. Well, that's kind of defeating and let down because who wants to see, we all want to see a champion to the right. Super Bowl, to the biggest that there is, and this is it. But anyways, they announced a co-champion to start the award ceremony. Then they announced one wanted to run and one didn't. Well, no kidding. Then they announced they'll run it, you know. That was predictable. Then they announced they'll run it off, and everyone needs time to prepare, and they had to clear the arena because they'd already started setting it up from the awards set up. Could you imagine if the NFL Super Bowl was kind of conducted that way. Uh, yeah, I you know I can't I can't imagine or not you know there's there, you know I'll say I'll say several things, and I you know I don't know somebody has to be responsible and it's not a big I mean like I said it's not a big deal. We, everybody wants the exhibitors to have the best possible chance that they can, but you know they have a rule book and you know your your judges schools you know they they say you know you follow your rule book and rule book's very clear about what happens with a tie. You know, I mean, if, if, the, if the exhibitors agree to become co-champions, they're co-champions. And if someone says, I'm going to run, and someone says, I don't want to run, then that person automatically is second. It's per the rule book, that's what happens. So I don't know what happened. I think, you know, if, they're, if they agree to run off, obviously the time, the time factor is up to show management. Um, to, you know, say Andrea's horse ran last, he obviously needed a little more, a little more time to gather air. But what confused me is the fact that they came in and started setting up everything for the finals presentation and then took it all back down again, which means someone changed their mind, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so anyway, I, it was, it was pretty confusing and I did have, you know, an NRHA employee that's a really good friend of ours said it was chaos. If we thought it was chaos in the pen, she said it was chaos, chaos outside of the arena. She said the the practice pen outside the arena was full, and they would announce for people to move out, and nobody they just stayed. 
I mean, it was right. just kind of like dealing with the crowd mentality. And, you know, I mean, a, a, anyway, I, I, my understanding is that, that Brian Bella had to go across the street to the outside arena. He couldn't even ride in barn six. He had to go across the street to the outside covered arena to, to warm up. That's how, that's how bad the crowd management was. So, oh, I, you know, yeah. I'm not sure that show management's responsibility is that because that's, that's just a bunch of rude people and maybe they need to you know, have a little better grip on that one if that circumstance arises again. But yeah, there probably should be a plan in place for that. Um, you know, I know that, and this is off the fraternity topic, but you remember the first run for a million, there was a tie yeah. and, you know, and it was between Craig and Kate and it was, well, there was, was a they tied and, yeah. and, but the very next year, next yeah. year, eh, there's a runoff. I mean, there ain't no more ties. So Correct. it's like, Anyway, well, and so. that's in in the rest of that story is the NRHA has the ability. It, yes, the rule book dictates the rules by which you play the sport. Got it. But the NRHA fraternity is owned and produced by the NRHA, and it has a separate set of conditions for the fraternity only. And I remember 25 years ago because I was a big um, proponent against co-champions i don't believe that in the in the in the pursuit of competition it breeds wanting to win so whether you know there is a difference between first and second and being tied for first is not the same as being second that's true so back in those days and the point of that story is so i was a proponent against that rule when we changed it and made it co-champions I know why the industry did and we're showing horses more and we've got longevity, got all that. But when you talk about the fraternity and the fraternity is still the fraternity and it's still the pinnacle and it's still the primary catalyst to why we make these great horses, the ability for the association to have conditions to be prepared for what you do for a tie. And it appears that, they weren't prepared at all. And that's what the run for the million did because they wrote their own conditions after the first one so that they wouldn't have that again. Well, the NRHA is 60 some years old. Why? In, anyways, I find that fascinating that we haven't addressed it in the conditions, but so be it. They end up running it off an hour later. Um, and, and Brian Bell comes out, top of this whole pile very climactic without a doubt but it still leaves you know the rest of the industry and those wanting to follow the sport you're just left kind of pondering a touch so uh, yeah it, <laughs> you know and i i didn't have a chance to you know i haven't spoken to anyone about it i, I mean one person i mean um laura my niece she was there live i mean we stayed here just because we had a we had someone that had a little had a wasn't feeling very well in the family we didn't want to spread anything if we'd happened to happen to have caught it so we stayed home to watch it but um laura she said it just too long she had to leave because she had a prior commitment the next day and she said she couldn't wait yeah. that long she said i had to right. leave so she didn't yeah. even stay for the runoff because it was so far off of when the event itself finished so right right yeah no i hear you and that's that's the rest of the story as far as a sport and that's why i make a little bit of jest between a sporting event and uh and a family reunion because family reunion you can take all the time you want and make your decisions right. as you go and 
whatever the family wants. But um, I just find that all pretty interesting. And, and especially with this being the pinnacle of our sport, I find it fascinating that they weren't better prepared, period. Uh, not trying to pass blame, just it's one of those deals. And I, the rest of it would be, from an officiating standpoint, the likelihood of a tie is actually high. So why right. we wouldn't be better prepared, I still find that interesting. Yeah, that's it, all. That, that is. And sometimes I think, too, you get into a situation like this, you have, you know, we'd had some discussion about this in the past. You know, we had you know, first place paid 350,000 bucks. And I think second place was 150,000. That's uh, as per your, as per your research. And that's a, you know, that that's a half a million dollars. If they tied and agreed to be co-champions, they're 250,000 bucks a piece instead of one taking 350 and one taking 150. Right. So there's a difference. (laughs) Right. There's a huge difference. I think that, and I think the difference that we had here in this situation was, you know, those of you out there in, in, in reigning land that know Brian, um, know the guy is intensely competitive, as is Andrea. There's no question about that. He is, he is too. Yeah. But I would say that both these guys know their horses. And, you know, both of them know what it was going to take. And I think that's why Brian had a great deal of confidence in his mare and said, we're going. And I, I can't speak for Andrea because I wasn't there. I didn't see it. I don't know what his owners had told him. I, you know, because that's initially that's their responsibility. It's not the riders, right? right. But, um, but I, I just know that I know that Brian was like uh, in his in his post post futurity interview with Steve. He said that, um, yeah, he said I believe his direct quote was, "I'm not getting any younger." And he said, "I've been second in this thing twice." And he said, "I got a good marriage." He said, "I'm going." So rather or not, they wanted to be, you know, the rather or not the, that uh, that the other team decided they would rather try and take half the money and no, no chance. Brian didn't give him that opportunity. It, it doesn't right. sound like so. Anyway, it was it was it was fun stuff in that regard. Yeah. Well, I all of those are interesting points because first pays three hundred fifty thousand. We're gonna see if a industry can sustain that. Second place pays one hundred fifty. Third place pays right ninety six thousand and some change, and the point to that at forty years ago in nineteen eighty three, and we talked about this, um, was the first year that that the industry guaranteed a hundred thousand to win the fraternity, and that you're talking about one. So um, I just find it in that's now third place. So that's how much we've kind of progressed over the time. I think the tie and the co champion component is a big conversation when you talk about what we're doing to test the three-year-olds and find the best and we'll talk about that more in this whole show let's let's um let's talk about these two runs real quick because okay they do they they officially they end up tying then mm-hmm. they run off and brian bell wins beats fapani um accordingly in the runoff but in the first round in the finals Fapani's score one he's last in the draw on this horse um, which certainly puts him at an advantage because he knows what he's got to do that's the that's part of the sport but the second piece is they hold the score um, and nobody and to this day it's not about because th- they held the score so there was obviously something that somebody saw one of those five saw something of major that was reviewable that they hold the score. Um, now the scores get 
submitted, and it comes out to be a tie, 225 and a half. But when you go back and look at the runs, there's not an obvious thing of why they held that score. Now the industry's talking about, you know, what could have been um, that thing, and you and I actually looked at that as well. So you got a take on that? Yeah, I mean, and I and I watched that run. Uh, you know, I watched it live. Well, not live, but I mean, I'd watched it as yeah. it was happening. Um, and I had the opportunity to watch it several more times. And I really couldn't find anything that that to me would incur major penalty. So, I mean, I didn't get to watch it live in person, which always is a big deal. And I'm number one. I would be very, very happy that at least my officials are looking at some, looking at every possible thing when it pays when something pays this much that they say, hey, you know, that might have happened. I want to look at it again. That's a positive. Yeah. Um, I the only thing that I could possibly think of is that you know uh, there is you know Andrea is as good a showman as it gets. Obviously, the money that he's won is tells you what kind of showman he is, and he's. He's very adept at moving bridle reins to the best uh, to get the most out of his horse, and maybe because he had a lot of hand motion in some spots in that, I just wondered if maybe one of those guys didn't think maybe he snuck up there and got more than one finger in between the bridle reins because you know sure. I, I've been fooled by that happening before too, right? And and good showmen, I don't blame them for it if they think they can get away with it and get and, and I don't know that, but I think maybe that might be a possibility because I couldn't see anything that was close to. A major, which is a two five or the zero, right? So right. anyway, how about right. how about yourself? No, I hear you, and I think that that's a phenomenal thought. And it would that be real? And the answer would be yes, because that's via, that's a fundamental rule of staying legal. So if one of those officials thought that he might have, you know, been violating that rule by the amount of hand motion he was using and finger motion, then it's worthy of looking at. I hear you, um, myself. And I didn't think that the 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 concept of did he possibly put more than one finger between the reins? My thought was going around after the second lead change in the right hand corner, going down to the first stop and left rollback. Um, he, he got a little bit four beady for two strides, and I thought so. What that did was tell me, oh, maybe somebody thought, you know, that four beat did he break gate? Right. Um, and, and would that be worthy of looking at? And the night before, they saw a heck of a run that did break gate. That was two strides, very similar. And we're going to talk about that. That was Adam Donahue in the non-pro finals. So that was my thought. So I think between the two, there was probably something in that go-round that one or two of those officials needed to verify. And, and I agree with you that getting it right is the bottom line, and that's why we can – use technology to get it right. Right. And I think that's a, you know, that's a, uh, uh, you know, I think that's a, that's a valid point that, that at least, you know, these guys are thinking about that. And I, and to be, you know, to be perfectly honest, and this is not, this is just my observation. It's not anything else, but, you know, neither one of those two horses that were tied were, were brilliant movers in a circle. No. Right. I mean, it's like, they're not, they're not great, great movers. So right. when they get a little four BD, I mean, both of them are, are, are the same way. So it's, it's, uh, that possibility exists. Yep. Well, let's talk about that. Cause I want to okay. talk about the, those two, those two runs. And there's, there's a few things because when you look at those two runs and they tie officially, okay, but they're very different one style. And then two, 
presentation of competition. Both those riders are highly advanced, very skilled. Yes, I'm not trying to take away of any of that. Yeah. But when when we all talk about the industry, and especially because this low top line, highly framed, you know, closely dictated to style has been dominating the sport for a while, here comes Brian Bell, and that style is different. So the style between those two and their presentation to competition is very different. I thought that was absolutely fascinating. And so there's a lot to talk about there, um, including you bring the point up, which is neither one of them are great movers. They're, they're not. So put that with the two different styles, and then the circles and the rundowns are affected by that quality of motion when you have to make fine distinctions on how good something is. And there's the hard work that the officials have to go through. And I, th I find all that very interesting, but these two in particular, um, because they were very different styles. And so I think it's refreshing, um, and it's very refreshing, that and Bell wins it. There's, he wins it, yes. Yeah. So they got it right. Absolutely, and I think that, well, I, I, I you know, movement is our generation balance is the new term right you've got that right so we can say yeah, yeah. neither of these two are very well balanced when they're moving but i mean that's pretty that's pretty funny but um anyway i, I get that and and the fact that you know you and i have both chaired the judges committee and we have you know from the get-go said that we don't judge style i mean we, we're old enough to remember boomer nick when he came in and he was the one that initially came in Changed. there with that low neck and, and was like, wow, what is that, right? So well, you had a three of them. You had Craig and Smart Chickalina. Craig's style was the beginning of change, but he had a couple of horses and, you know, the 83 right. fraternity we've talked about. But when he brought Smart Chickalina into the industry, that whole style, longer-bodied horse, very low, very soft. So, yes, and then Boomer Nick was a big one because right. that was the West Coast bridle. Right, and it, it's it's... But you know, we've always said that we don't judge style. So it was—it's really—it was really neat to see this this you know set of judges over over multiple goes said, you know what, we don't care one style or another. We don't care if one's carrying the bridle more. Or we don't. These are good horses, and this one stops and turns, and this one stops and turns. And you know, I mean, it was. Uh, I think and that was steers super positive. and speeds yeah. up and slows down and all of that. Yep. Exactly. So it's uh, it was yeah, it's it's good, and I think that that's super positive because. For me, I've been a guy that always wants to adapt a program to my horse. You know what I mean? That was my deal over over training for years because they all, some of them can't take that much bridle and some of them, I, but you know what? They can all still be good horses. And this was a, you know what? They, both these guys are so good. They trained what fit their livestock. So. And, and, and got it done. Yeah. And got it done. So let's talk fraternity overview a little bit and we're going to okay. stay focused because of the uh tie and the champion and reserve champion congratulations to both of them no doubt um I, it, it's healthy and it's good for everybody but truly looking at and analyzing the competition itself but th the fact and this was one thing that jumped at me um and i found it very pleasant pattern 12 in the first go we have 443 entries to go through four days pattern 15 in the semifinals which about 40 percent is what makes it back to the semifinals 
But the point to this is one pattern selection. So whatever committee and whatever group is sitting on that making pattern selections, in my book, they did a phenomenal job because the pattern selection in this sequence, putting pattern 12 and eight maneuver, four stop, marks higher and allows those three-year-olds to show well and get marked well. And then pattern 15 is a harder pattern, seven maneuvers. And why is it harder? Because the circles make it harder. You don't have time. You, you got to go big, fast, slow down, big, fast again, change leads, do it again. So you have a lot to do in a short period of time, which makes it technically more difficult, which makes and seven maneuvers, which makes that pattern mark more conservative. And we saw that. So the pattern selection itself was a filtering function on the test to these three-year-olds to get to the finals. Do you agree with some of that? Absolutely. I no, absolutely not. That's uh, that is it's uh, it's it was a really good selection. I don't know if the professionals committee is choosing. I really don't have any idea how you know who's who's doing that choosing right, right. now. But it was those were two really good patterns for three year olds. And yep. I know that we're gonna we'll cover a little bit more of this, but we'll come back to them as far as as far as what horses looked like in the semis and then even into the finals. So anyway, yep, yep. yeah, and then pattern ten in the finals, which is a right. great pattern too. So. So, yes, they've done a phenomenal job with pattern selection, no doubt. Um, the fraternity in the event itself, 12 days of competition in Oklahoma, not new news, other than they extended it by two more days, which obviously by looking at the schedule and watching the flow of it is a help. What does that mean going forward yet to be seen? Running two full competition arenas every day because um, you got the North American affiliate finals going on. You have a full non-pro fraternity and then the open fraternity. Now, the open fraternity had 443 entries, uh, about a 10% increase over last year. You were right at 400 last year. So, and they used two batches of, of officials and they did them sequentially different. So in reality, that and I think that was all great. I remember that. I did a few of those myself and my opinion on that was always very high because you only saw the same horse twice and there was a big gap between when you saw him. So your ability in your mind to get clean and clear was much easier. So I think they're doing a phenomenal job with that sequence between the non-pro and the open and two batches of judges and they move them around so that, so that you're not looking at the same batch of horses too many times. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, not only, not only was that super positive it, I think that, I mean, we, and we try to look at the, we try to look at everything, but adding that couple days, first of all, we've always been an advocate for the officials. And, you know, this time these guys actually got to judge a fair number of hours and go get some rest, which I right. think also helps the officiating, but it also should make it a little bit easier on the livestock. You know what I mean? And the riders too, because they have a little bit more time, but these, you know, shows are over in eight hours instead of, you know, that Adequan pin, I've had guys over there working that thing for past midnight or one o'clock in the morning, which is horrible, right? And these guys, all they, show management did a really good job of giving those guys some more time and getting them rest. So, but good for the horses, good for the crowd, good for the people. Yeah, well, do you see that new product that just hit the market? And I'm not trying to take a left turn quick, but they they were a sponsor and advertising a lot. And the point is, you remember when they came out with the... Uh, with the blinders for 
breeding horses that had yeah. the that had the lights so that you could start to get those mares cycling. Well, now they've come out with a product very similar. It's it's like a it's like a face mask shield, but using a type of light that'll allow a horse. It shuts off the the UV and the fluorescent lights that are on all the time in those barns and buildings. And so I, I, I think it's really interesting. I'd love to talk to some people that might be using that stuff because those horses getting rest is just as important as the officials and the staff getting rest, which makes for much better competition all the way around. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Nobody worries about the trainer. They don't need any rest. Right. Those guys stay up all night and that's your job. But yeah, no, that's, uh, that's true. I mean, I lived 45 minutes away from there. So for uh, 40, however long they've had that maturity since in Oklahoma city, I'd bring them back after a go around. If I had two days before the next one, I'd bring them back here and shut the lights off at night. So at least they could. So this is a brilliant way to help that horse. Right. Well, I, I found it fascinating. I can't wait to do some research on it because that's that's pretty interesting and a great use of technology for everybody's benefit. Um, so back to the fraternity a little bit. We'll talk right. about uh, 443 entries in the go round. We've got data on that. And we're going to show you all that stuff. Um, about 41% of that go to the semifinals. So two go rounds to go to the finals, two sets of finals all in one day. Now the semifinals, they broke it into three days. Level one through three took two days. And then on the third day, level four semifinals ran. Then you got combined scores to make your cut lines and two sets of finals show up on Saturday. Um, I, I did pull up the uh, Marin stud scenario because in the go round, so three year olds entered to the fraternity. This is the sex breakdown. 173 mares were entered, 228 studs, and 36 geldings. Now, the stud to mare ratio is 1.3 to 1. So there's 1.3 studs for every mare entered in the fraternity. That was this year. When And we're going to look at the cut line in a second. But just talking about sex, there were 24 studs making the finals and six mares. So when you get to the finals, you now have a four-to-one ratio, four, four studs for every mare. So I, I'm not, I don't think that it says anything other than a little bit of what's maybe unique, and I think... I don't know this. I know that studs have always dominated the fraternity program and the general thought has always been you can fill in the gaps, but studs do mature a little bit younger and they get more grit. So generally there's always been a little bit first reflex on the male. Then you can have a conversation on whether it should stay a stud or not, but um, the difference between the male and the female I've, I've always found interesting, but here comes another big one. And you brought this up, which was, we now have had two years in a row that a mayor has won the fraternity. That's pretty cool. And then on top of that, Brian Bell's mayor wins two major events in our industry, the Congress rating fraternity and the NRHA fraternity on a mayor. Holy cow. 
Yeah. How, how much you think those eggs are going to be worth? Oh my gosh. Like I said, you could, you know, I've got a good client from Mexico, Aldo Ramon, who we did the show with. And I told him, I said, yeah, you could, you could retire on her now. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you, you ain't gonna have to wait. I mean, it's like, but I, you know, back to the, back to the numbers, I'll tell all of our viewers that I, I put forth this question to our statistical department this morning which is brian <laughs> <laughs> to find out to find out numbers it's like it's like okay, okay how many studs do we have in here it's like you know i've you know i'm and of course this is this is old-fashioned just like like we are but i'm a guy that um you know for me when there's it says 228 studs and 36 gildings i think that there should be 228 gildings and 36 studs, 36 studs in the maturity yeah. right i mean that's that's how i look at it because i go i go you know holy cow i mean i guess because the you know that that dream shot that an owner has is that maybe the stallion is going to be the one right but you know percentages tell you that it's not going to happen and even those that have won major events whether or not they become good sires or whatever but yeah so i'm 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 all about the geldings and the stud numbers down just because I think it's healthier for the industry and they're held a lot easier to train. But anyway, the yeah, the mare the mare thing when I I'd actually ask you I said has I can't even remember. I mean, have two mares ever won this thing back to back? And I don't I think so. I, mean, I I don't I don't think I can't remember because we we'd have to ask but I, uh, I, I don't think so. But anyway, these, you know, those, you know, the two mares, Sean's last year, Brian's this year, they're obviously great, great horses. And, and for a mare to be undefeated this year is incredible. And I would, I'll take that one step further. Um, you know, the Facebook thing is, is pretty big. And I'd looked at a couple of clips that Nike, Brian's wife had put on her Facebook page the next day. Um, and you know, she turned that mare out and she's running and bucking and playing. And I mean, she looked like, she looked like she hadn't been rode in a month, right? right. I mean, she, she's gone through the most stressful two weeks of your life and she's like, wow, what? Oh, and she just, so that this tells you fun. that, uh, tells a horseman that she's special, right? Yeah. Not only is she that sound that she's that mentally happy. And she's yeah. like, I don't need the rest. I'm feeling good. So right. Right. part of it. Time. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So let's pull up the cut line and we'll yep. look at that. And I did now this graph is just going to show you the cut line to make the finals. And so again, this is, this is educational for everybody that enjoys this sport. The left hand big bars is the actual cut line. So four sections, level one, two, three, and four, 437 to make the level four, 433 to make the level three, 428 to make the level two, and a 419 to make the level one. Now the middle, all we do is, is a little bit of math because we're turning that into averages so people have something to relate to. That's a 218 and a half across two go rounds to make it to the open finals. How does that relate to last year? Last year it was a 440. Um, so it took a 220 average. And then when you take that same number, 218 and a half divided by three, you'll get 72.8. So 72.8 is what you've got to average across the scorecards for two runs. That's six marks. That's three, three marks out of go round one, three marks out of semifinals to make the finals related comparing that to 2022 for level four because if you look at those right hand numbers 72.8 for the level four what would compare to a 73.3 a point and a half higher 
Same thing's true for level three, 72.2 this year compared to last year, 72.3, which is a uh, three, no, it's one, one-tenth of a point. And level two, 71.3 to 71.7, that's almost a half a point. And then level one, um, you're sitting right at the bubble of, of 70, 69.8 this year and right at 70, it was a 210 average to make it last year so the when so the good news is the numbers are quite historical to three-year-olds in the sport of reigning over many many years that 217 and a half to 219 and a half you know that's where it's historically been we've seen it climb up in the last couple years last year it was 220 it comes back um, you know, to 218 and a half average this year. Um, and when you look at the scores, this year's scores were tighter and a little bit more conservative by about that point. It's one to one and a half of points across the entire spectrum. Um, and, and that's what they did. I would also tell you, cause we'll get there. Um, that across the go round and semifinals, they stayed extremely, con- they stayed conservative, but they stayed consistent. Um, we did look at the draws. The draws had zero influence on Mark. Um, and so they did a very good job uh, on sorting through all of that. And then we're going to spend some time talking about because where's the demand? It's in purse distribution, which is in the finals. And now you got the best of the best and you got them all coming at once and that's hard work. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time there. I think that's, I think that's great. I think it's, I just throw this in here and we've talked about this many, many times too. And it, it, it doesn't have a great deal to do with this maturity, but I find it interesting. And I know that you do too, that, you know, we're talking about the average of last year, the average of this year, you know, two nineteens, maybe even, you know, if the, in a good year, two twenties, but I, I find it interesting that, the 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 scale has stayed you know from minus one and a half to plus one and a half but it has adjusted with the quality of the livestock because a 220 in the futurity 25 years ago wouldn't make the non-pro finals now at level two very likely than a 220 in today's version i mean you understand what i'm saying it's kind of like it's it's funny that it's funny how how uh how the plus half has has Evolved. morphed over the last twenty to twenty five years because they're they're nothing in common if you put them if you put them together from a judge's card twenty five years ago to one now what is a yeah. good maneuver what is a great maneuver a very good maneuver what is an excellent maneuver it's uh it's funny no I, I I agree with you and I think that that's a quest that the entire horse show sport industry has got to stay in tune to the standard set by the competitors is moving. And do you have to stay with it? Yes. And that's exactly what you're talking about because the standard today is significantly higher and deeper than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, et cetera. That's what you're talking about. So a zero today, a 70 today is way tougher than it was 10 years ago. Um, That's absolutely true. And yes, you've got to be staying with it. I think that there's more in there that we can talk about. And we've got the data and the numbers on using the scale. Um, we have that for today's show, and we also have the details at the maneuver level. So we'll get to that. Right. Okay. 
I, I think, tell me what you think about now. Now we've just had 2023 and you and I have done a significant amount of analysis across age events across this year. And we started looking at the fraternities, you know, in August. Um, and so we started to see the three-year-olds, but tell me your take on three-year-olds now that this fraternity is over and how that's relative to what we're going to see as four-year-olds next year and five to seven-year-olds. You know, I, first of all, you know, and we, I, I can't say it too much, but the quality of the livestock and what the, what the breeding programs have done and even training techniques. I mean, these, these colts are so good. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're so good. I, I, you know, and, and there's some things that are, that are in common, not only with the, with the, with the horse evolution, but you know, the one thing that I, I think that, and like I said, I don't mean to get too far away from this or take too much time up, but you know, from having done this for a long, long period of time and having judged for a long time. And I, you know, I see, you know, horses are like human athletes. And we had this discussion before that, you know, whenever you see, you know, significant numbers of scratches, it's usually a physical issue. You know what I mean? It's usually a soundness issue. Um, horses that are scratched early in the year maybe don't have the mental capacity or enough ability to make it. But late in the year, if you see a scratch or two, usually it's a soundness issue. I'm, I could see, you know, horses that I saw in the first go round um, that I thought were really going to be, you know, I mean, I thought, yeah, these things, this one's going to go back again. And that horse maybe weakened significantly in the semifinals, which maybe was not, um, was not such a, and we want to say it's an easier pattern, but the circles make it more difficult, but you know, at least there's less stop. So that maybe tells me that they had, that they had some fatigue as a factor or what, who knows, but I mean, some horses that didn't look as good in the semis as they did in the first go round. And, you know, I mean, that, that happens it, significantly but a lot of these a lot of the guys that stayed hooked and made it into that top 30 um you know were were physical 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 horses so i don't think i think the i think the biggest thing brian that that i see and we've been a proponent for it both of us have is that and now that there are starting to be some four-year-old events just for the four-year-olds i think that this group of horses will be strong strong but I, I I will say it again and again and again. No matter how strong these guys are, I don't think they can compete with five, six, and seven-year-old horses in as early as April at the NRBC. And I mean, no better example of that was was with Sean's mare last year. I mean, she was the Futurity winner, and she she didn't ring a big bell in the major events as far as a five, six, and a seven-year-old was. So I think these are phenomenal horses. Three-year-olds are incredible. I think that I think that they. If they're because there's so much money up available to them now, if they are allowed to develop, that those things will show till they're ten at a high high level. But if they're shown and crashed hard as a four year old to try and win five and six and seven year old money, right? Maybe not as long a career. Yep, you said exactly what I perceive out of all of this. There are three distinct steps in our, and this is very healthy. It's very good for the entire industry. The three-year-olds are three-year-olds. It's been proven now, and there are enough that four-year-olds are four-year-olds, and then you have the aged one, which is the five to seven. And so will our events start to cater to those things, and you'll see chronological growth and evolution and development of horses, riders, owners, businesses, all the rest of that accordingly, and the answer should be yes. And that was my point, 
in the question because that's what I see. And the numbers say that too um, because we watched horses this year that are easily marking you know, 76s, 77s, 78s. We actually talked about the ability for these horses to be breaking 80 using our scale and the standard of today. That's all true. Are we going to see that with three-year-olds? Probably not. And I just say that based upon the last two to three years because that's the reality of the natural steps, and that's exactly what you're talking about. So I I wholeheartedly agree. Just as a piece of fact, 76 was the highest card, the highest single mark off any one card across the entire open fraternity. So go round, semifinals, finals, uh, 76 is, is it. Compare that to last year's 77 and a half. We're back to that same differential. Does that mean that this batch right. of three-year-olds wasn't as good as last year's? My answer would be absolutely not. That's just the finer distinctions you're still talking about very good stuff you're now talking about the difference of blue and red on your trucker vehicle you know that's a personal preference you're talking about really good stuff the best of the best of the industry so that's the answer to that stuff which would also compare to a 225 and a half to tie in this finals they come back in a runoff and you know 224 and a half and 223 and a half right on um you know that's a hard test itself um and compare that to sure. last year was a 230 so yeah you, you, that's a point to point and a half per judge whippy do right right yeah and it's like i said we have, we already determined that these guys are a little more conservative and it's a it does very accurately assess horse show so you, you who cares as long right. as the checks go to the right people hmm? right <laughs> yeah, we hope. Um, yeah, um, exactly. So let's take it uh, depth of competition, um, which is not new news because we've been seeing this right. for three to five years now. There are more better horses and horsemen for the sport, and we're seeing it at the events, no doubt about it. Um, I think, again, another one of those obvious things is the days in our time, you know, there was one to three horses that would step out of the go-rounds and be the obvious favored. I Yes, you could have said that and picked one out for yourself through the go-round and semifinals, but the test and the process is a different scenario. And when you get to the finals and those, I, I think any one of those 30 horses could have done it it's who who gets it done yes without yeah yeah without question from an ability standpoint it's you know i mean it's talk about you know they talk about parity the national football league right i mean they want all the teams to be you know capable of winning a football game against one another it's nothing compared to this deal because i said you know you take 30 finalists with 30 people that and we had some new faces in there too also you know, I mean, some yeah. some some people that hadn't made the finals before that were really good, also. So, but yeah, there's there's I wouldn't I wouldn't bet against I wouldn't bet against anybody when this horse show starts. Mm-hmm. So let's take a look at um, the open fraternity scores, uh, and we've got this yes. displayed in two formats. Um, we our, our our data group struggled here a little bit. This is uh, number one because this is just a line <laughs> graphic. So these four line. Now this is 
score spreads. So when you take five judges' cards, the final score, 72 to 72 and a half, 72 to 73 and a half, whatever those five individual scores are, this is looking at those score spreads across the entire function. So the blue line is the go round, 400 plus horses. The red line is the semifinals. And you see those two holding pretty close to each other. They, they truly do. Then you hit the yellow line, which is semifinals, and I would tell you that they start to tighten up a little bit. So by the time you get to the semifinals and the finals, you're seeing the score spreads actually come closer. Um, that which yields overall, when you look at the numbers, that's where the conservative function comes into play. But that's what this is showing you. The green line is your finals, and that's all finals. So... You know, you, you had 67 horses in the first section of the finals and 30, and that's 97 horses. Um, and when you pull those scores across there, um, that's the green is level four finals, 30 horses. The yellow is level one through three. Um, and they follow a similar trend line, just like your uh, go-round and semi do. So it, it, it's just interesting. So which all this does is verify what you and I have been talking about for years now. Normal is one and a half to two points. Well, that's you had 90% of the entire competition within two points on final score submissions. The 3.3 is one. If you look to the far right, there was one run in the level four finals that they had a four and a half point spread. Um, which was on a problem run. So uh, uh, again, it's 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 just one. That's all, it, and it wasn't at, on the top end. Um, pull up the next graph, which is this. This is the same numbers, looking at it a slightly different way. This is the score spread, and, and the reason I did this, we did this is because it shows you a little bit more detail. And the point's this. Bingo. Where all five judges mark the run exactly the same. That's the top of this bar chart. Um, and in the go-round, it was 0.8%. Um, so they did hit bingo. They did not hit bingo in the level four finals. They did hit bingo in each of the other pieces. Semifinals, 2.3%, 5% in the level one through three finals which is about four runs out of those 67 they did not hit bingo in the level four finals but you'll see how tight they stayed because a one point score deviation is the big one and that's true across the entire open fraternity so 40 percent of the runs in the level four finals were within a point of score spreads that's 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 a big number Yes. Agreed. So I, I just, because the industry always has opinions and views on all that stuff, and one is finding normal, and what's normal. Is it normal for all five judges to mark a given run the same? The answer is no. That's actually rare. What's normal is in that point to point and a half range. That's why we use a multiple judge system. And it is true that dropping the high and the low does work very well. 
the accuracy actually goes up by doing that. The next set of data that we've got is using the scale because they all say this all the time, doesn't matter the competition, but the judges didn't use the scale. Well, the answer in the open fraternity is, did they use a scale? The answer would be yes. Did they use it well is another question. And then you can have your opinion on that. Here's the data because this is the go round all four sections. So getting through the go round, the first go round, this is only the first go round. They only use the scale from minus one and a half to plus one. They did not use plus one and a half at all out of 443 horses. They didn't. And where was the bulk of it? Right on correct. Zero. 45% of those runs um, were right there. And you can see it to the right, um, you know, the bulk of it. So, and again, that's the go round. Now let's go to the semifinals. So this is using the scale. So this is looking at every maneuver marked across the open fraternity. Now this is looking at the two semifinals because you had a level one through three split over two sections of it, split over two days. That's the orange bar. And the green bar is the level four semifinals. Now this is using the scale. So if you look at all the maneuver scores across all the semifinals, this is what the officiating did. Did they use plus one and a half? No, they didn't. They didn't. They used plus one, 5%, 5.2% in the level four, 1.1% in the level one through three. And that's the way it is. Where was the bulk of the reigning? It's right there in the middle from zero to plus half. That's where it was. Now pattern 15 marks quieter more conservative than other patterns as well. So you have to take that into account, but there it is. Any questions? Yeah. And that, yeah, no, that's just great. That's great information. That's like, we've, we've seen that many times and we'll, as we, as we advance here a little bit more, we're going to talk about some, about some of the issues that judges have um, from maneuver evaluation standpoint. I know that you've got some graphs to show that too. Um, but yeah, that's, that is, it's not a uh, it's it's not an uncommon issue that guys are are marking horses in that and it's I think that people have struggled to use the scale for uh, uh, an extended period of time but I think also also what they're trying to tell us that we've we've said many many times is that is that the the fine differences between maneuvers are there's not a tool to to evaluate that fine difference between between that horse that is they have to box them the same well you know what it's he's in between that half and a one but i'm i'm, I'm afraid to step out and one it so i'm going to half it anyway and so then i've boxed that that those two together so like i said there's you know if we if if we can't condition people to do that we need we need to be able to have some more separation points for the horses of this quality we're going to use the the use of the scale in the finals we're going to look at the use of the scale because you will now begin to see it this is the first section finals which is level one through three and so this is the use of the scale which d did they have to use minus one and a half and the answer is no so they didn't did they need to use minus one in some cases? The answer is yes, and so they did. That's true as you move up the scale as well. Did they use plus one and a half 
in this set of finals? And the answer is no. It's whether or not they actually got the opportunity to. Um, did they use the scale to sort that finals? Here it is. And you got, again, where's the competition? And this would go back to your point about the standard moving because you got 87, 88% of the competition is on the better side of zero. I think your point's very valid because the difference between the zero and the plus half are those finer distinctions, but you have to pick one. Let's go to the level four finals and you're going to see a very unique step because look what happens when you get to the best of the best. It literally moves up. Um, your correct goes down, your plus half goes up, and you do start to see plus one and a halves. So do they use it? Yes. When it's shown and displayed through competition. But that is the maneuver numbers through 30 horses in a level four finals across all five cards. Yeah. And it's, it's just, I mean, the quality, the quality raises. And I think that, I think that there's, you know, there's a, and it's, you know, hindsight's always easy when you're not sitting in the chair because we have, <laughs> we have had that happen to us many, many times. And, you know, both of you and I have talked about this, that the, the high scoring judge was always the smart one, right? And the, and the yeah. low scoring judge was always the, always the dumb bad one. judge. Yeah. But it, yeah, exactly. He's always the dumb one. So it, anyway, I, I think that, I think that there's, you know, there's multiple opportunities to call maneuvers excellent in that, in the level four open finals. Um, it's just rather you can make yourself step to it. And I'm not saying, I'm not talking about anything in particular, but you know, I saw some turn, I saw some spins that there were only two spots for me and that was very good or excellent. There was, there was, they, I couldn't even include the good in there. So, and there were some stops that certainly fit that same category too. So anyway, it's, it's, yeah, the horses are, the horses are, they're doing their job. Yep. Yeah, yes, they are. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how tomorrow begins to drive the rest of us accordingly. But we're going to bring up now. I want to show you. Um, I want to show the audience um, maneuver. We're going into the maneuvers, and we're going to look at two things. First, I'm going to show you runs. Um, this is total amount of runs in each go. And the amount of runs in that go that either that have maneuvers that either cross zero or have maneuver spreads by one point or more. So in the go round out of 443 horses, and that's what the numbers are. These are numbers of runs. So in the go round, you had 443 draws um, and you had 65 runs that had maneuvers in them that either cross zero or have more than one point maneuver spread. And so that's true when you go across the entire fraternity. 107 in the semifinals, the first section, 35 runs have cross zero or maneuver spreads because that's where the detail of fine distinctions are. And that's why we spend the time. You'll see then that there is fewer, the finals in the level one through three is the uh, most condensed. Um, and I would tell you that's because the competition allows it to be, it, it which is about depth. And then you'll see that change because when the depth of competition goes up, 
you'll see those finer distinctions become harder. And that's what it shows you to the, to the far right. 30 runs, 11 of them, which is a third, have maneuver difficulties, which is crossing zero or a spread. Bring up the next graph because this is just looking at runs. The next one will show you the details. This is looking at the percentages. So you get to look at the rounds. You got to go around semifinals, two sections, finals, two sections. And each of the bars is the red bar is crossing zero, which means you have a maneuver score across five judges cards that is minus and plus um, at the same time. That's what the red means. That's crossing zero. The yellow is maneuver spreads by a point or more. And you'll see as the competition moves through there. Um, and the green is just the total number of runs. That's the number of runs we just saw in the last graph. It's just the percent of the total that drew or went in that section. That's it. So 14% in the go round. But when you get to the finals, now there's only 30 and it's the best of the best. You got a third. And I said that, but it's 36% of those runs and that's the difficulty what this is showing is the difficulty period that's that's what it's showing it, yes yeah it 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 is it, it shows you the difficulty in it you know i mean and you've you've heard me talk about this till i'm blue in the face that that you know crossing zero for me is 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 my number one judging flaw that makes me crazy because it can't be both I mean, it, it can't be good and it can't be bad on a single maneuver because that means someone is wrong. And, and sometimes in a situation like that, um, you know, that single maneuver might, you know, might have had an effect on an overall score. I don't, you know, I, I don't know that. It may, but but it, it's something that, that for me to see a percentage of that, and I, and I can, you know, you can, it, it's pretty hard when you can tell me that, you know, this this percentage of judges had a bingo. In other words, every chair saw exactly the same thing, maneuver evaluation and score-wise. Now, maybe they had it a little differently. Maybe someone zero to turn, someone half to turn, and they flipped it. But they saw very close to the same thing. And high, high percentages of these judges, when you say, well, you know, we had, you know, this 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 percentage was very accurate, and they were within a half a point of one another, a point and a half of one another, where we say it's normal. Um, but all of a sudden, when we spin off where there's a a large amount of money to be paid in the finals with some horses that are showing high, high degrees of difficulty. Um, that issue becomes more significant to me. Yes. Even then when, when someone says it's a good maneuver and someone says it's a poor maneuver on this, on the same one, it's like, I, I just don't feel like that should happen in, in a spot where we've already sorted through and got the best of the best. Mm -hmm. Just, just a personal opinion. No, Ed, I, I hear you and I agree with you. And you and I used to spend a lot of time talking about those struggling scenarios when we were actively officiating events because those things would bother us to no end. Um, because you, you, right. there isn't a judge out there that's not trying to get it right and do the best they can. It's the rest of the equation. I, I do have a couple. This This is interesting stuff because... Did plus one and a half get used? And the answer is yes. We're going to, now, did it get used as much as if you look at last year? The answer would be no. They used it fewer. Um, and and here's, here's the actual. So when you look at maneuvers, 
and maneuvers marked across the open fraternity. Plus one and a half was used once in the go round in left spin. It was not used at all in the semifinals. And in the finals, it was used, uh, the first section of the finals, which is level one through three, it was used once and it was in the left circles. Now you got to put that into perspective because they had to make 2,680 decisions across that first section finals. So, but one maneuver gets a plus one and a half. When you go to the level four finals, eight times, eight maneuvers were marked plus one and a half in this year's level four finals. And here's where they were. Now, of 30 horses running pattern 10, that's 1,200 maneuver decisions that have to be made. So that's, that's what we're asking the officials to do. Four times plus one and a half was marked in left spins, one time in the right circles, two times in the left circles, and one time in the stop and hesitate, which is that last maneuver. That's now when, if you go, if you just compare this year to last year, um, that would compare. So eight times in the level four finals plus one and a half gets used. So did they use a scale? Yes. That would compare to 13 times in 2022. So not quite half. Um, does, does that mean that those batches of horses were different? No, I think it's relative to the point that you bring up, which is the standard is moving with the industry, but then comes the rest of it, which is those fine distinctions. And so we're just, we're, it, it is what it is. 225 and a half, 224 wins the runoff. He's a fraternity champion, great mare. Um, that's it. And Fapani is Reserve champion, great horse, great showman. Congratulations, yes. Absolutely, it's fantastic. And, you know, and we've both worked these things a lot. And I will tell you, it's just like you said, nobody does this on purpose. There's no judge in that fraternity finals that didn't take this responsibility of dealing out that much prize money very, very seriously, because I know them. And they, they're working their tail off to do it right. I do think subconsciously not consciously in other words this is not on purpose but subconsciously i do think that in situations like when you get into a spot like that that your degree of difficulty raises and you even hit a spot i i i think that self-defense kicks in because you don't want to make a mistake and it's easier to fall backwards than it is to go forward and I think that, you know, in other words, it's, it's easier for me to come back and crowd that conservative line than it is for me to step to the plate when, because I have, I have less chance of making, mentally, I think I have less chance of making a mistake if I'm conservative than if I pay too much. And, uh, but sometimes then the opposite can, the opposite can happen to you. You've, you've watched a whole, you've watched a whole raining go and all of a sudden you feel like, oh, I'm going to jump on something and, and it's, it's maybe not. You know, we had some a little discussion about this, and this is not finger pointing. This is just this is personal observation. My thought, I thought that I thought that they judged the hell out of those go rounds. I thought they judged the hell out of the finals, the semifinals, the non pro, all that stuff. When we got into the finals, I thought the first part of that thing was just great stuff. I thought after Brian's horse ran, there were some points of confusion, and maybe just be, and I don't know, I don't know if I want to call it points of confusion, but it was like they marked that horse. 
And then there were some that came after it that was, well, I'm not sure where to stuff this now. And, and then, you know, Andres came way late and, and then it was like, well, I, I, I'm going to jump on this one because I've expected him to come in and do really good, which they did. And that horse was good. But I, I felt like that there were some, that there were some issues and I'm, and I'm just telling the, the viewing audience that, that occasionally that happens. And the reason that guys don't step to the plate is because you don't want to make a mistake. So I don't think they do it on purpose, but I think that, I think that sometimes they fall back and are conservative and then in some spots, then you go, oh, wait a minute i didn't pay that one enough and you and then you you uh you pay one more than maybe more than you need to it's it's a it's not an uncommon problem and it's, it's happened per scale over how many years yep. <laughs> since, well, since we started well our friend and mentor mr snowman made reference to connecting the art to the science and that's exactly what you're talking about and that is the difficulty that our sport is kind of faced with. How do we connect? The, the art is an is a emotional function. It's connecting your, your heart and your head to the consciousness of science and where the facts are. And I think you hit a big one, which is that, that, that fear of being wrong. Um, it, it, and I get it. I've been there plenty. Of t- I will never forget the first time I judged the fraternity. And it was one of the most intense tiring things I ever went through and maybe it was self-imposed which is another conversation but coming from the industry a question that's commonly asked and I, I want to talk about this when I touch because you you touched on it why don't we why won't judges mark the excellent stuff more often and I'm going to step one smidget because if we go back one night the non-pro finals Adam Donahue shows a horse in the non-pro finals and congratulations to lane colston for winning the non-pro finals we'll talk about that in a second but the the industry has been buzzing about especially on social media that the circles between adam donahue in the non-pro finals and the circles between with lane colston were not at all the same and the audience was confused and let me give you the rest of the story because i think it goes exactly to what you're talking about and adam donahue's circles were phenomenal and i did i was watching the non-pro finals and so i got to see it in real time and i got to record my own observation of it and this is mine adam donahue probably showed the most dynamic excellent set of circles i've ever seen displayed in the sport of reigning that's that's my view and to me they were no brainer plus one and a half when you pull the scorecards and they were phenomenal and and there's a lot of reasons that go into that because they're all earning credit the whole way through but here's my biggest point of what made them that exceptional one he's right on middle and two that horse shortens his stride and shifts that gear within two strides at the middle better than any horse I've ever seen do it. And he did it on both sets of circles. So that, that slowdown was that well done without interrupting balance, footwork, frame of the horse itself, which we normally see that when you're demanding a horse to do a lot of stuff. You'll see them make an adjustment. It's normal form too. Adam did it phenomenally well i think it's cool here comes because 
all the industry's got to do is pull up the scorecards and you can look at it. Adam's circles, he gets four plus ones and one plus one and a half in one set of circles. And he gets the same thing, four plus ones and one, one and a half on the other set of circles. And the one and a half was not from the same judge. So everybody kind of approached it the same way. The no brainer is it's 1.25. You know, they were that good. Here's the part right. that you're talking about. Why wouldn't it have been such a no brainer that all five of them wouldn't have gone plus one and a half? I don't have that answer. Do you? No, I, I don't. And I don't think anybody has that answer. And if you, and if you ask them, uh, you know, live after they'd done it, I'm not sure that they wouldn't have have said, <laughs> I should have. Should have. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, because yeah. I've done that many times. I, you know, I'll look at something and go, and they say, well, what the heck? Why wasn't that, a, you know? Okay. It was. Should have. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was excellent. Then, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I think that that, like I said, live, real time, you think that, yep, I'm, I'm, this is plus one and a half, plus one and a half. And all of a sudden, you know, you've got that, oh, shit, if I do that, then I've got him marked 73 on just circles. And what if he wasn't, what if I marked him too much overall then? You know what I mean? And it's like, but, you know, our, our scoring system is based on maneuver evaluation, not the whole run anymore, right? Yes. So Yes. Well, then just, in, uh, in yeah. the rest of Adam's case, because he has a two-point break of gate, and that's a run right. going around the end of the arena, and he does. So, which is all part of showing God bless them all. I know yep. he'll learn from that and come back, but here's the rest sure. of the story that the industry doesn't get. Because if you look at those runs, what does lane do and put him at the top of those finals that the rest don't is he stays in the plus column from the beginning to the end. And it's really in the first two maneuvers to stop and back up and the first spin lane stays in the plus column across the whole run. He's, he's zero to plus half. He does pull some ones on his left spins, I think, but he stays in the plus column and that's how he gets there. Um, it's not that any one or that anybody missed it or didn't miss it. It's that he's consistently in the plus column across the entire pattern that, that that's it. And in Adam's case, his first two maneuvers were poor, and he has the break of gate towards the end. But his circles were absolutely dynamic. They were phenomenal. So you take, I mean, talk about a new standard thing. Circles on Adam Donahue's, rollbacks on Gabriel Borges in 007, and, you know, now you can teach the whole industry, there's Raynan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's way, way, way fun discussion. And I think that, you know, obviously Lane, you know, he's a, he's a phenomenal rider in his own right. And he's not, he, he, I don't see him very often on poor livestock either. Right. So you put those two together. Those are the results that you have a lot of times too. So anyway, that the congratulations to both those guys. And, and uh, yeah, Adam, it's, uh, I've known him a long, long, long time. And he, uh, he will learn from that. Yeah. You know, you'll, yeah. we'll see him again. For yep. sure. Yeah. Well, it, it brings up an inch because between Lane winning the non-pro and Brian Bell winning the open, you got first timers, um, you know, that are taking home the, the big trophy and the big check and congratulations to all of them. Um, I, I, it I think it's very refreshing all the way around. You gotta, you gotta take on it. 
No, I, I, I do too. I, th I think it's obviously it's good for the industry and it's not like, you know, I mean, I wish my wife, Amy, she, she, uh, she called Brian when the futurity three days before the thing started. She said that was her pick. And I said, you know, well, I hope you're right. Cause I would love to see that happen because he hasn't won it before. And he's right. come very, very, very close. I think I remember one time Brian had one that maybe backed up, stepped on his tail and fell down that was looked like the fraternity winner to me once and uh so anyway I, I think it's refreshing i love seeing i love seeing new faces i think the crowd does but you know it has uh you know new faces are are uh, are a super positive and i think that as long as our officiating um continues to do what it's doing and trying to make itself better um then you know our our horses evolve with that so well um is there anything that we haven't gone over? Because we've gone over all the scores. We've gone over all the pieces. Um, it, that's, yep. that's where our sport is. It's what it is. Where the three-year-olds are, there's distinct steps now, which I think is extremely healthy. Um, when you look at our industry, you know, today versus five years ago, we are significantly farther forward. Yes. I think so too. Absolutely. Without question. And like I said, we, it's kind of fun for, for, for two old guys to sit on the outside and look in at this and watch it develop. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just because we can look at it with fresh eyes. And I think the nice thing about this is that we aren't, we aren't involved in it from the standpoint of we have skin in that ball game. So it's like, it's fun to be able to look at this and go, wow, this is what's happening. I mean, it, it really is. It's a, it's a, it's a great spot to be in. I, I, I love this. Yep. Well, and it's going to be interesting to see because with the fraternity paying 350000 to the winner and 150000 to second, which is Brian and Fapani, well, shoot, the non-pro fraternity paid, was it seventy or 75000 I mean, Lane Colston Thousand. goes home with a very healthy one. Um, it, I'm hoping that, you know, five or 10 years from now, nothing's doing but moving forward and upward. Um, that's what I hope for. Um, and I think, you know, Brian Bell winning the Open Fraternity and Lane Colston winning the Non-Pro Fraternity. God bless them both. Congratulations. Have a great Christmas. I know it'll make for a better one. Um, the Fraternity is still the pinnacle of the pinnacle. So, yes, it's three-year-olds, and yes, it's a precipitating factor to play this game, no doubt about it, but it's the only event that we have still to this date that is two go-rounds to get qualified for finals and a clean slate finals. Um, and it, it's a phenomenal, I think, test to truly let the cream rise to the top, and you bring up all of those points, which is all of the pressures to to stir the pot so that the cream can rise but back in our days there wasn't anything after that so it, that pressure to do it all because you only had one shot that's a big piece that's changed in today's time and i, I think it's very refreshing because oh, okay so you got a scratch and they're a little sore and whatever that is but there's a lot to do yet. So that is healthy for the industry, I think. Um, and it's just, you know, it's like having a flat tire, or, right? Putting a new motor in your truck. How many of us have done that before? <laughs> yeah, and, and couldn't afford it, right? Right. <laughs> had to, had to had to do it, couldn't afford it, right? Oh, 
Yeah, times times have changed, my friend. So it's it's way 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 better. I mean, it's you know the, I, I you know it can it doesn't make any difference if that NRHA faturity was in Columbus, Ohio, running on concrete. Um, you know, it was just as hard to win that faturity as it is right now. I mean, you know, we didn't have a lot, but you know, mentally in the spot that everyone is, financially the spot that everyone was in, and the livestock that we had to ride back then. It was difficult, right? I mean, sure. and and uh, and this horse show, you know, it is, you know, the the finals crowd. It's you know, f- f- finally the Coliseum's full, right? I mean, it's a it's a phenomenal it's a phenomenal crowd that's watching. Um, you know, the sport is finally beginning to you know to to have people take interest and and I think realize what goes into. You know, not only judging one of these major events, but also trying to train and show one for it. I tell you, it's like, you know, Amy and I went in several times just because we live here. And number one, I will tell you and I will tell the viewing audience that, and I've said it before, that I sure don't miss taking a dozen head of horses in there to that horse show, right? I, it's like, I love looking at it from this side. It's like, nope, thank you, Lord. I did it, been there, done it, and was right. successful at it. But well, Lord, it's hard work. And I see now I walk down the aisles or sit and talk with someone and there'll be, you know, 25 faces will walk by me. Um, I'll have no idea who they are. Right. You know I mean? It's like, this has changed so much. The young people that are getting into this, which is fantastic, but you know, both from a client basis and from a professional base, it's, it's just fantastic to see it. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I agree with you on all of those fronts. And so, um, very healthy all the way around. So yes, our ability to kind of look at the industry a little bit fresher using some of our experience. That's, that's what we're doing here at the cowboy office. And so, um, the fraternity was another phenomenal event. It's going to be interesting to see what 2024, you know, is going to unfold for us. Um, hundred X is very aggressive and moving forward where they're going with four events, including international, I think is phenomenal. I think there's another interesting question before we wrap this up, because um, I don't know this. This is just a thought. But the point is, how much do you think money earnings in the year played into which would be qualifying for the American Performance Horseman in Arlington played into whether or not that runoff was going to go between those guys? Do you think that either one of those two competitors – was that in their mind? Because the, the point is, if you split that money, they're equal. I don't know what their earnings for the year would be. But the difference of their earnings in a year and that qualifying for the top five going to Teton's um, American Performance Horseman, do you think that that's a factor? I, I believe Brian mentioned that, um, that, that the winning would allow him to go and, and splitting the money would not. So perhaps he had a little better idea of what it was going to take. But I think that I think that that had a huge bearing on, well, not only, like I said, has he not won the Futurity and Andreas won it how many times? Um, and he had a horse that he felt like he could do it on that he uh, was going to make him go. But I think qualifying for the American, because, you know, that is another huge shot of money that um that uh and you don't have to beat near as many people right right, <laughs> so, right. you know right. you got a good horse you got to beat four right, right. so anyway, well you got to be in the top five and then you get to pick your horse yeah right, right? yep exactly yeah yep. yep 
So, well, but, but the competition itself, right? I mean, it's, it's a team yeah. competition, but I don't have to get around 30 finalists. I only got to get around these other, these other guys that are in the rain with me, right? right? That I'm competing right. against. So, yeah. So, and, and it pays a great deal of money. So, yeah, I think that, I think that that had a huge bearing on, on, yep. Yeah. Well, for sure. Uh, and another, st- the reason I brought it up is because it's just another logical step that in the course of competition, in the course of earning achievements, those are all sequences that, that are facing the industry. And I think it's very healthy. It's so it's just, it's a new one. So good for all of them. So, so we're there. Um, another year, another fraternity, another batch of data. Um, we've got significant ones because you and I track the open aged events and we're going to keep tracking it. And it'll be very interesting to see what 2024 unfolds between Teton Ridge, um, the run for the million. We're going to have the qualifier in March and the run for the million in August. 100X um, has events that will start in May. Um, they'll also go international and then come back. And so what does all of that sequence, the North American reigning stakes, that breeders program, the NRBC, that there's a lot happening. So, um, it's going to be fun to watch and see how it all unfolds. So go to cowboyoffice.com, put your email in. If you haven't yet, we do send out a direct email. Join us along, please. Um, we are also submitting and writing, uh, a blog, um, uh, editorial piece that's on our website that addresses the questions that come in from the general audience. And until next time, enjoy the ride. Absolutely. And uh, you know what? This has been another fun, fun show. I can't wait to hear the response from our viewing audience. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we do doing it. And uh, I want you to have a Merry Christmas and stay in the middle. Today's episode is brought to you by 40 Productions in cooperation with the Consultment Agency, a full-service agency that helps bring forward-thinking equine brands into the 21st century using digital skills and services such as website development, graphic design, social media, and media production such as the podcast you're consuming here today. Thank you so much for riding along with us today. Sign up at cowboyoffice.com to be the first to know about topics affecting the industry we love so much. You can reach out to us with topics you care about by finding us on TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. And remember, share this episode with someone that may enjoy it, because the more we can share our horses with others, the better our world will be.